You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins for Tuesday, January 17th, 2023. For those of you tuning in for the first time, I'm Portia Cook, your news director. And I'm Kira McKinley, your assistant news director. And we are the voices behind the Rocky Mountain Review news broadcast that airs every Tuesday and Thursday from 4 to 5 p.m. We here at the Rocky Mountain Review strive to give you the most up-to-date, unbiased, and factual news. We would like to start off by welcoming you to the first episode of the Rocky Mountain Review for the spring 2023 semester. We hope everyone enjoyed their break and we are wishing all of you a successful semester. On today's show, you will hear an interview with newly elected government officials, Governor Jared Polis, Congressman Joe Neguse, and Senator Michael Bennett. And in local news, more than a dozen Canadian geese can be seen frozen on the ice of City Park Sheldon Lake in Fort Collins. More on the cause of these deaths, along with more campus and local news next. You can stay tuned for more news, including the Mental Health Musing podcast on transitioning and reentering for CSU students during breaks in college. Now let's move right into campus and local news. On November 7th, the day before midterm elections, Governor Jared Polis, Senator Michael Bennett, and Congressman Jonah Goose, who were all running for office at the time before being re-elected, visited college campuses all around the state. And one of their stops was at Colorado State University. I was able to sit down with these now newly elected government officials and hear about their perspectives on issues that are affecting students. The first question I asked them was how they will work towards preventing gun violence. Unfortunately, students in Colorado are no stranger to this issue. According to NBC, Colorado has seen at least 10 mass shootings in the past three decades, and a number of those shootings took place at schools. For many years now, students and citizens all around the state of Colorado and the country have been calling for action to put an end to this gun violence. These government officials agree with them and want to work towards change as well. Senator Michael Bennett expressed how this issue is close to his heart and why he thinks there should be background checks when it comes to purchasing firearms. My daughter, Caroline Bennett, uh, was uh, born the year after the Columbine shooting in Colorado. So I have three daughters, and in many ways, their lives have been defined in the shadow of that gun violence. I feel lucky to live in a state, Colorado, where we've done things like pass background checks uh, here, and I think we should do that at the national level. We also have limited the size of, of magazines here. I think we should do that. I think we've manufactured enough of these weapons of war in our country, so there is more for us to do. One piece of good news is we just passed the first bipartisan gun bill in a generation in Washington, and it was modest, but that's a progress. Congressman Neguse agrees with Senator Bennett and thinks that this is one of the most pressing issues that we are facing. In addition, he also believes that common sense laws need to be put in place. And of course, one of those salient challenges is the rise of gun violence, the prevalence of gun violence in society, uh, certainly in our state and across the country. I believe that we have to take common sense steps to combat gun violence uh, in the country. We've done that this year by passing the most significant bipartisan gun safety bill since Bill Clinton was president over 30 years ago. But there's more for us to do. Universal background checks and other steps that we know will ultimately save lives. And I'm excited about our work to continue pushing on that front. Governor Polis acknowledged the need for better common sense laws, like Congressman Neguse pointed out. But he also addressed the mental health crisis and what he thinks should happen when those who own firearms or are looking to purchase firearms could be struggling with mental health issues. So here in Colorado, we've been moving forward with common sense gun safety laws. One of the the ones that I signed that my opponent said she would repeal is called a red flag law. It's a way that you can temporarily remove somebody's custody of their guns if they're having a mental health crisis. Um, So, you know, if they might be suicidal, in his example, or at risk of a violent action. So we have a good track record here in Colorado of looking at these things and saying, look, of course we support, you know, your right to own a gun if you choose, but let's have some common sense laws that help protect us all. And we want to move forward with reducing gun violence and making Colorado one of the safest states. Another pressing issue that students are facing today is debt. According to Forbes, America spends more on college than virtually any other country. Due to the high price of college, students must take out loans, which leave them with an enormous amount of debt after they graduate college. Recently, President Joe Biden created a student loan forgiveness plan that will, according to NPR, quote, cancel up to $10,000 in debt for those earning less than $125,000 per year and up to $20,000 for those who receive Pell Grants, end quote. 
I asked Senator Bennett what he thought about President Biden's student loan forgiveness plan and the overall student debt problem. I think I wish that he had been more targeted in the loan forgiveness that he did. I think that it was a little bit too broad. I think the basic problem is that college costs too much and we have we and taxpayers no longer pay for public education. So we've said you have to finance that with a bunch of debt. What I think we have to do is we have to work toward a system in this country where people are able to graduate from college without having to go into the kind of deep debt they have to go into today. It's going to require us to figure out how to lower the price of college. It's going to require us to figure out how to finance it in different ways so that when students are graduating, they're not shackled by the kinds of student debt they have today. It is a crisis in our country. And so far, what the president has done has not addressed the fundamental issues that got us to this crisis. We have to get that figured out. Apart from the high tuition cost of college, living and transportation costs can also be extremely high. When asked how he will help students, Governor Polis touched on how he aims to lower living and transportation costs for students. Well, first of all, we want to save students money. So students have a huge stake in making sure that we have more housing that people can afford close to where jobs are. So we're really going to focus on more quantity of housing for both rental and for purchase on transit corridors and near where jobs are so that we can thoughtfully provide more opportunities to live. Uh, we also need to make the cost of a college education less. We focus on uh, what we call a uh, zero textbook Z degree and reducing going to common, uh, common source textbooks to save students money on costly textbooks as well. So there's a lot more we need to do, but we're really focused on making sure that higher education isn't out of reach for any family, no matter, no matter how much they earn or where they're from or their background. Gun violence, high tuition, living and transportation costs are only a few of the problems students face. Congressman Nagus said that one of the best ways students can help him and other government officials work towards change is by getting involved. First and foremost, students have a direct role to play in shaping our democracy. When you think about the challenges that we face as a society, whether it's climate change, whether it's rising income inequality, gun violence, and so many other challenges, they impact young people most acutely. I believe that young people have to be part of the solution, which means being involved and engaged, not just voting, but coming to our office, visiting through our town halls, giving us your ideas, your suggestions about how you think we should address some of these problems and these challenges. To the extent that that happens, I believe we all will benefit. And I certainly am going to encourage that if I'm elected to a second or third term. Governor Polis, Senator Bennett and Congressman Nagus were all reelected into office. So we will soon see how and if they keep these campaign promises. I'm Portia Cook reporting your local news. If you're in and around Fort Collins, you've probably enjoyed going to City Park for a nice walk around Sheldon Lake to enjoy the beautiful scenery. In recent weeks, however, you may have noticed some sites that are not so nice to look at around the lake. Sadly, I am talking about the dozens of dead Canadian geese that can be seen frozen on the ice at City Park's Sheldon Lake. While some may have suspected the birds died to extreme freezing temperatures felt in Fort Collins in the last few weeks, Colorado Parks and Wildlife officials say the geese likely died from highly pathogenic avian influenza. According to the Coloradoan, Mary Wood, the Wildlife Health Program Supervisor for Colorado Parks and Wildlife, said the agency confirmed highly pathogenic avian influenza in Canadian geese in Larimer County on January 5th. Mike Tincher, the Rehabilitation and Research Coordinator at the Rocky Mountain Raptor Program in Fort Collins, said their center continues to receive calls about the dead geese in multiple bodies of water in the area. However, Tincher went on to say that there are far too many dead geese around the bodies of water for wildlife officials to remove them. Although rare, some HPAI strains can affect people, and because of this, Colorado Parks and Wildlife recommends that people and pets do not pick up or touch any dead birds. The human health risks from the strain of HPAI are low, according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. If there are dead birds found, you are encouraged to call the agency's Northeastern Regional Office at 970-472-4300 to help monitor the spread and impact of the disease. In other local news, on January 16th, more than 1,500 people marched in honor of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Families, friends, and community members walked from Washington Square Park through a path to commemorate Black families who put down roots in northern Fort Collins in the early 1900s. This year's March theme was Voice, standing for violence, oppression, isolation, cannot endure. 
The march ended at Colorado State University's Lori Student Center for live music and keynote speakers, including Denver artist and activist Jay-Z Futural. Brothers and sisters, we do not need to dream. Mothers and fathers, we do not need to dream. Grandparents, aunts, uncles, we do not need to dream. Caregivers, we do not need to dream. CSU, we do not need to dream. Look about you right now. Look about you. In the celebration of peace and struggle, fairness and justice, do you show up? CSU, we do not need to dream. Not on this glorious day. As we sit in the cradle of the Rocky Mountains, on Arapahoe, Cheyenne, Ute, and Navajo lands, settled by the Spanish in the San Luis Valley, a beauty with no equal, do we celebrate what brings us together, not what breaks us apart. CSU, we do not need to dream in a world dominated by opinion, and bigotry, ignorance, and politics, do you show up in the spirit of healing and growth? Do you come together? CSU, we do not need to dream. When it seems darkest, do you rise in the light and away from the dark? Do we lock arms? Do we march as one? Have we seen our neighbors as we see ourselves? Have we seen our neighbors as we see ourselves? Have we forgotten what pains us and risen from its ashes? Have we opened our hearts and been willing to receive? Do we march in the spirit of nonviolent protest? That is a question, that's not rhetorical. Do we march in the spirit of nonviolent protest? Do we march in the spirit of nonviolent protest? Do we march as a collected statement against oppression? Do we lift every voice and sing? Are we bonded by what brings us together? Is today merely a symbol of our resolve? Do we practice inclusion every day? Do we advocate for those who cannot? Is ally just another four-letter word? And could someone tell me, please, when did woke become one? Do we acknowledge that our differences make us stronger? Do we celebrate the richness of planet Earth by those seeking citizenship at our borders every day? Brothers and sisters, do we march in the memory of the man who dared to say it may well be the greatest tragedy of this period of social transition? It's not the glaring noisiness of the so-called bad people but the appalling silence of the so-called good people. Today, you are not silent. Today, you stand. Today, you choose to make yourselves breathing symbols of justice and peace. Be accounted for when you are called upon. Do not fear what others think and embrace that first instinct of empathy. Yes, empathy. Empathy is an instinct. It is programmed into your very Futrell's full speech and comments from additional speakers, including CSU's interim president Rick Miranda and Fort Collins Mayor Jenny Art, can be found on the Lori Student Center's YouTube page.
In other news, as quickly as city council voted to approve changes to the land use code, a counter-protest group gained enough signatures to repeal the decision even quicker. As a result, the new code did not go into effect on January 1st, 2023. Now, the land use code is back in front of the Fort Collins City Council for re-evaluation at today's city council meeting. With the land use code successfully stopped from going into effect by counter-protest group Preserve Fort Collins, Fort Collins City Council has a few options for how to move forward with the repealed land use code at today's meeting. One option City Council has is to vote to repeal the ordinance for the land use code changes on their own and start from scratch on new or modified changes. The second option is to decide not to repeal its decision and refer the ordinance to a ballot so voters can decide whether or not they want the changes City Council voted in favor of to take place. We here with the Rocky Mountain Review previously reported that in early November 2022, Fort Collins City Council in a 5-2 to two vote approved changes to the land use code, ranging from eliminating routine neighborhood meetings for residential projects to allowing accessory dwelling units in nearly every neighborhood. However, these changes became rather controversial with community members voicing their concerns that there was insufficient public engagement and that developing the new land use code was rushed. On November 11th, 2022, then-registered elector Ross kind of filed a notice of protest against the new code going into effect. The months-long protest and petition led by the group Preserve Fort Collins ultimately collected 6,447 of the 4,228 needed signatures from community members who also wanted to see the changes repealed. On December 30th, the referendum petition was deemed sufficient, stopping the land use code changes from going into effect and forcing city council to reevaluate its decision. We will continue to update this story, including today's city council decision on how to proceed as we receive more information. For more information on the land use code, including frequently asked questions, you can visit www.fcgov.com. I'm Portia Cook, and that's all for your local news. Coming up next, if you like live music, you may be intrigued by what's being named the most luxurious amphitheater ever built, and it's coming to a city near you. This and more music events and entertainment news with me after the break. Hello there. You're tuned in to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm MC Asher. Howdy. If you like live music, you may soon get the chance to experience some in what's being called, quote, the most luxurious amphitheater ever built. That's right. The Sunset Amphitheater, a new $40 million music venue, is coming to Colorado Springs. The amphitheater is set to open sometime in 2023 and hopes to leave its mark on a competitive music venue scene through its 8,000-person capacity and luxurious amenities. The amphitheater's amenity will include 60 VIP luxury suites with fire pits, a rooftop bar with 150 kinds of bourbon, and four two-story restaurants offering seafood, a chop house menu, and more. More information on the amphitheater can be found on the official amphitheater webpage at sunset.live. In events news, if you're looking to take your writing talents to the next level, Blue Moose Art Gallery is here to help you. This evening, January 17th from 4 to 6 p.m., the gallery is holding a five creative ways to start and use a blog class designed for artists and non-artists considering creating a blog for their own pleasure or to promote their work or for those who are already blogging who want to spur some fresh ideas and tap into new markets. Instructors Franklin Targart and Teresa Funk, who are both longtime bloggers, will cover not only how to start a blog, but also how to use it to write a book teach, tell important stories, inspire, and connect with people and each other. 
And if you could not make this evening's class, you can mark your calendars for the next five creative ways to start and use a blog class on Sunday, February 5th. Tickets for the class are $35 and can be found at bluemooseartgallery.com. If you're looking for something a little higher in energy, you can make your way to the Lyric for the Lyric Battle League, a weekly video game tournament, or test out your vocals at karaoke night. Their Lyric Battle Video Game League kicks off at 7 o'clock p.m. this evening in the Tiki Theater, and there is no cost to enter or watch. The first place winner will receive a $25 Lyric gift card, with the second place winner receiving a $15 Lyric gift card. Those looking to test their vocals can join the karaoke club in the lobby, which also starts at 7 o'clock p.m. this evening. If you're looking for more things to do, you can find the most up-to-date events on the KCSU events calendar at kcsufm.com. I'm Portia Cook, and that's all for your music events and entertainment news. Now the Mental Health Musing podcast on transitioning and re-entering for CSU students during breaks in college. Hi, thanks for tuning in to Mental Health Musings, a podcast through the CSU Health Network. Every podcast focuses on a different topic pertaining to mental health and well-being. No two episodes are the same. Thanks for tuning in, and remember to be kind to yourself. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Mental Health Musings. I'm Stephanie Z. I use she, her, her pronouns, and I'll be your host. I'm really excited today. I have three guests to talk about our topic today, which is focusing on transition and re-entering, and we'll get more into that. But I first want to have my guests introduce themselves, so I will turn it over to them. Hi, everyone. My name is Mia. I use the She series, and I'm a second year here at CSU. Hi, everyone. My name is Sophie. I use the She series as well. I'm a third year here at CSU and I work in the cruise office. Hi, everyone. My name is Vivian and I use she, her pronouns and I work as the well-being initiatives manager at the CSU Health Network. I get to work with Stephanie and I get to work with some of our cruise peer mentors as well, like Sophie and Mia. I work at the Health Network as the coordinator of well-being and really lucky to surround myself with these individuals. So thank you so much for taking your, the time to record this episode with us. So let's get to it. Winter break is coming and I know we had fall breaks. We had about a week off and I know a lot of folks weren't at CSU. Some went back where families are. Some went traveling. I think with fall break, one week feels good, right? It's like we're, we went on vacation or we went away and then we come back. But with winter break, it's a little bit longer. So I think there can be a lull period. And I know from my own experience, when I was in college, the first time I went back to my parents' house from college for winter break, it was really difficult for me. I actually was... I don't know, I experienced a lot, I kind of some downs. And so I wanted to bring that up because it's this concept of kind of re-entering into another world in some way, another culture. So I was wondering if Sophie and Mia, can you maybe share some personal experiences you might have had with that about, you know, leaving and, you know, going back for a break? I definitely think that going home for a break is a huge transition Of course, as a freshman, you have all this newfound independence that comes from being in college. And all of a sudden, you're back at home and you have two people who, well, I love my parents being reminded of, oh, did you put gas in the car? Make sure to bring a coat. Did you eat breakfast today? Little things like that that I I know I'm capable of remembering to do. I found that to be really difficult. It also created a really great community within CSU. And having to leave that was definitely really difficult for me. So I definitely understand um, the hardships that come from going home, but it's also a really great time to be able to go home and see your family, be in the town maybe that you grew up in. I know that's how it is for me. So it totally is situational. Um, it's going to be different for every person. Um, going off of Sophie uh, for my first year, going back to winter break, going back home, it was very rough going back home. And that transition period, I got a job and because of all my newfound freedom here at CSU, I I had a little bit of depression going back home, you know, especially during the winter months. I told my mom, I was like, I can't be around anybody, you know, and she understood because she also deals with that. So I got a job to take my mind off of everything. And they aren't nitpicky about like what with what I do or how I run my life, you know, especially since I'm eight hours away from home. I can't go back home like every single weekend. So I was happy to be back home, but also just it was just a different world, I guess. 
And then I also came from like that small town mindset of like, you need to be away from that as well because I don't want to see people that I used to see because they're always going to ask like, what are you doing and stuff like that. And I don't know, it's just kind of a different aspect of what boundaries do I set going back home and what can I do to just get out of that bad kind of mind space going back home. Other than that, I I got out of it <laughs> and coming back home for this break, I am going into it a little bit different. I in a better mind space. I've grown so much. So what are you going to do differently? Do you still have that job? Yeah, I work with my dad, but I think I'm probably going to take it more easy and practice more self-care. Um last year I did not practice that at all and this year I don't do that as much as I should that's what a lot of people don't focus on going into like the winter months especially going back home where your parents are like on your ass all the time it's like you should be doing this and doing this like Sophie said it's it's a lot it takes a lot on you and when you want that freedom yeah it's crazy yeah. And I'm glad you shared what you're going to do this year. That's differently. And Sophie, I know you're a fourth year. So you've had, you know, this will be your fourth winter break. Have you changed how, you know, leaving for winter break has been since year one to now? I will say it's definitely been a complete like change for me. My freshman year was that 2020 year. So my winter break was combined with my Thanksgiving break and it was really long. It was like, several months. I was home for a super long time. Um, All of the friends that I had made in college at that point were out of state friends. So I didn't even have that community back home with me and I couldn't like drive to go visit them or anything like that. Um, So similarly to me, I found myself like just like getting into like weird habits of just like kind of isolating myself and just like not like going out and again, like taking care of myself. And I will say now that I'm no longer living in the dorms, I have my own apartment. I mean, being from Colorado, I'm from Evergreen, Colorado, which is about like an hour, hour and a half away from here. Um, So I don't go home for like the entire break. I'll just go home maybe for like a weekend and things like that. Um, And so that's definitely been really nice because I'll still have my own space, but I can see my own family um, and still have that time with them but while still like feeling that sense of freedom that I get from living in my own apartment. And then it helps for me too, that I am Jewish. And so a lot of our major holidays don't often fall over the winter break. This year we're lucky and Hanukkah does fall over on winter break. It falls really close to Christmas this year. But like last year I was doing Hanukkah over finals week. So for my family, it's less about the holidays and more about seeing each other. And so that's definitely been a big difference for me is just not only the time, but the ability to like go to and from Evergreen has been a big one. Yeah, because that's your home base, right? Your apartment that you've made for yourself. And when you need a break, you're able to kind of go back for a little bit and then come back to Evergreen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it also helps too. I have a really close relationship with both my parents. They understand the boundary of like, I now have several jobs on campus. I have these friends who aren't going home for the entire extended break. So I want to stay up there and see my friends. It also helps to my mom and my sister will sometimes come and stay with me in our apartment, which is super fun. We do like a little girl sleepover, which is always a blast. So um, we've definitely found ways to still be together over the breaks, but still like respect each other's boundaries and like understanding that I'm now 20 years old. Um, as much as I love my parents, I don't, I don't want to go home necessarily and sleep in my childhood bedroom for a couple weeks when I have my own bed to stay in and I have my own um, life kind of built up for me in Fort Collins. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Mia, I want to touch back to what you said about you being eight hours away. And it just reminds me of when I was in college a thousand years ago. No, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> uh, you know, not very recent. And uh, I also was eight hours away. And for me, my parents use that in the sense of like, you're far away, we don't see you. So when you come here, you know, we want you to be here is see you, right? They said that with in so few words. And I mean, they would make me feel really bad. Like they'd be like, if I was going out with some friends and I went to college with a few of my very good high school friends. So it was, it was, you know, we were about to hang out at home anyway. Um, in my hometown, my parents would say something like, well, thanks for checking into the hotel. We'll see you at dinner tonight. And I was like, come on, you know, and, and they're just like, well, we don't see you. And, you know, in the seven days, we've only seen you like two days. And so I felt really torn because of course, I want to see them. 
But I also, like you mentioned, this newfound freedom. I wanted to, you know, I was missing out on things I felt like. So it was just very, um, it was very hard. And I think culturally growing up in an Asian household, right, there's just an emphasis of like spending family time and you don't, that time of my life is past, right? But I think because I was so, I was still newly like graduated from high school. I think I was still like a kid to them. But there's this idea like things like holidays and stuff were centered on family. So, you know, the idea of like spending with friends or other people that wasn't right. Everything was centered on family. And so I don't know, it was hard and I felt very guilty not kind of feeling that squeeze of like, I don't really want to be here right now because I feel kind of down and like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't feel this, you know, like I, I'm missing my college time, but I also, you know, it was important to me to be with them. So yeah, I just, I don't know. And then I think I just felt so bad. It just really yeah, put me in a state of like, just this, I would say maybe temporary depression or what have you, just feeling really like crappy of a break. Um, so I just wanted to kind of add to that. Vivian, I know like we had talked about kind of this topic of reentry and I know you and I had conversations too about what's the prime amount of time you can stay, you know, at someone's place. But I'd love to hear from your own personal experience about, you know, leaving college for break and what that was like for you. Sure. I'd love to. Yeah. So I really appreciate what's already been shared because it's a variety of experiences that we have when we return home, depending on our family system, depending on the type of town we grew up in or community that we grew up in. So thank you so much, everyone, for sharing already in such a broad and deep way. So I I just want to say a couple of things about reentry and sort of what some of the dynamics are. And then I'll talk about my own experience because it matches a little bit of what Stephanie experienced too. So one thing that happens with reentry is that We're returning to a a place where people expect us to be a certain way, and we also expect others to be a certain way. And yet, we've all grown and changed in significant ways. And you might not expect that because maybe it's just been four months, right? But like, you know, what was already mentioned, you know, you might have newfound autonomy, especially if you're a first year student and your parents might still be expecting that you're not as independent as you've actually become. And so some of that can actually be pretty irritating. And I think Mia and Sophie, you both sort of mentioned that a bit of, you know, what the expectations are that your parents might have of you. And that might also extend to your friends. Your friends might think that you're a certain way and you're not. And that can also be exacerbated if you're from a very small community. So Mia, you spoke about that too, where people expect you to kind of be the same because everybody in that small community has lived together for a really long time and they know what to expect for one another. And yet you've been in this college setting for, you know, four months, if you're a first year student, a couple of years, if you're if you've been at CSU for a while, and they it might take folks a while to catch up on who you are. And so folks might be saying certain things to you that are not true, and they might be expecting certain things about you that are no longer true as well. And that can also provide some irritation. And because you've changed as a person, you might have different expectations for folks as well. And so that is just a lot of renegotiating the relationship and getting to know one another again, and also saying what's true for you now. And you both spoke to that really, really well around how do you work with your parents? Um, And sometimes we also have to do that with our friends too. The other thing I just want to mention, um, because this was my experience, is um, I'm from an immigrant family. And so I had a certain role in the family to take care of my family. So when I went back home from college, like I was placed in that role immediately again. And I had had gotten a break from that. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have so much responsibility now, whether it was for my elders or whether it was for younger members of the family. And so that might be some of our situations as well, is that when we step back into our families, they're going to expect us to do certain things for them. And we haven't actually been doing that for a while. And so that might be quite an adjustment. And it also might be a renegotiating. You know, like you said, you all said, you know, you want to spend time with your friends, as did I. Um, You want to maybe spend time with your newfound independence, like doing things on your own, coming home late. And your family might be like, 
wait a minute, what are you doing coming home at two in the morning? We're not used to you being an adult and doing that. So all of that is quite an adjustment. So I'll stop there and see um, how we might want to continue this conversation. Just going off of that, my going back into that role, I have three younger siblings and my parents did expect me to jump back into that role a little bit. My sister comes to CSU now too. I came in and when I went back during break, I kind of was expected to take on that more older sister role again. So I was doing a lot of more helping out and I was already so burnt out, you know, that burnt out role. And I was like, no, I can't do this. You know, I know a lot of people can't even go home, you know, because, you know, families aren't supportive of mm-hmm. their identities too or stuff like that. I know a lot of my friends can't go home because of that. So, yeah. I'm so glad you said that because I was going to mention that too, that there's even this concept of going home, like what is home, right? Um, I know that can be for some folks a loaded question. I haven't lived at my parents' house for almost 20 years, right? So, you know, I don't even, that's not really my home. You know, I, for me, I always say home is where I'm with people that I love, but yeah, this this idea. So, you know, that also can make leaving for break, you know, a stressful time. And then yes, exactly if it's not safe for you to go home, right? Mm -hmm. I know some working in higher education, I've definitely met many students who have found their safe space at the institution, at university, because they're accepted, you know, they've embraced the identity, you know, whether they've come come out or they, you know, are treated differently or found their community that they didn't have at back where they came from. And then the idea of having to go back to that is just terrifying. And yet... They don't have anywhere else to, you know, go mm-hmm. or they're expected to go back. And so, you know, you add that layer. And so I guess, you know, the point of this uh, podcast and then before we get into like resources is just wanted to share with you listeners that if you're not looking forward to the break or if during the break you feel like, ugh, like I don't really want to be here or, you know, you ha- are having these, I guess, feelings that are not joyful, then to just let you know that that's valid, right? Like that's, I don't want to say that's normal, but that's, it's not unusual, right? And that there is this, right? You are reentering something new that you haven't been a part of for a while since you've been at CSU. So I'm hoping you can find solace in that because I know when I was in college, I thought I was just like an ungrateful asshole, right? And (laughs) like, I was just a really terrible child and I didn't love my family. And, you know, obviously having gone to you know, grad school and my experience and talking to colleagues like Vivian and other folks, I'm like, oh, this isn't just an isolated thing I experience. Everyone else experiences this. Okay, good. So I'm hoping that as you all listen to this, you, you know, you feel, okay, I feel validated in how I'm feeling. Just want to mention, you know, for some of us that might have been fostered or have been emancipated as teenagers, that's also a big question of, you know, what is home now when your residence hall has become your your home and there's really no nowhere else to go. So I know that we have a wonderful fostering success program at CSU that helps support uh, students to find places to go for break. But this is also true for international students, you know, where it's not easy to go home. So figuring out where to go on break and where to have break is also quite a thing because um, going back to one's home country is not really attainable. So yeah, you know, really trying to negotiate that or um, students that can't afford to go back to where they came from, even from the United States, like if you're living in Hawaii or Alaska, and maybe it's just not possible to go that far. So I just want to name that some of those things are things that we also need to work with. And there is a lot of support at CSU to try to figure out where is a place that you can land over break. So please reach out if that is your situation. Thanks, Vivian, for adding that. I really appreciate it. And that's a great segue um, as we kind of wrap up this topic is, and I'll turn it over to uh, Mia and then Sophie, what resources or um, an advice would you recommend to students to utilize as they're getting ready to leave for break and then maybe while they're on break? What could they utilize that might help with, you know, these feelings we've talked about, this these experiences? For me, um, I say just practice self-care as much as that as you can, whether that's 
just writing in a journal, listening to your favorite kind of music, going outside, even if it's wherever you are, just chilling, chilling out, mellow out. I know sometimes it's hard, but you will get through it. I know firsthand. (laughs) It's definitely going to be rough at first, but you're going to thank yourself for taking at least five to 10 minutes a day just to calm yourself down and just to be like, you know, I'm grateful that I'm alive. Sounds like some intentional like decompressing Mm -hmm. and rest. I know, especially for me, when my friends and I all kind of were going into different states and we were all in different areas, it was definitely hard to stay in touch. So one thing we did, as silly as it sounds, is we would make sure to like schedule times to all FaceTime um, or we would do a Zoom call because not everyone has like the same type of phone. Um, and as silly and like, perf- like low-key professional as that sounds, because of time zone differences and just timing, it really worked super well uh, to be able to have all of us meeting at once and knowing when everyone was going to be free. So we would do that to keep in touch, which was really great. And especially for my mental health, that was super helpful. And then more on the side of resources from CSU, I haven't utilized it personally, but I know a lot of friends who have used SilverCloud, which is a super awesome resource that if you haven't looked into or heard about, I definitely recommend um, looking it up. I found it and like have recommended it to friends by literally just Googling SilverCloud CSU and a bunch of information that comes up. It's a free service for students and my friends love it. I have different resources that I have just provided to me through like my parents in my hometown. So I haven't used it in that sense, but I know it's been really helpful for people, especially during those times when you're going home, you might be feeling a bit more isolated. You might be feeling a bit more under the weather, a little more depressed. It can be a really awesome resource. Thank you. Vivian, do you want to add anything? Yeah, I just wanted to um, say something that CSU does close for a couple of days, but actually it remains open. Many offices remain open. So if you find that there's an office here that you know, supportive of you, you can, of course, reach out and see if there's some support that you could get from whether it's um, continuing your counseling or leaning into a peer mentor program or some of the staff that you know. And then the other thing is, I did actually stay at my university as an undergrad over break quite often because I needed to work. And, you know, leaning into your friends that are local and I got lots of invitations sometimes to join my friends. And that was just really wonderful. And it was really wonderful to be with my friends um, that remained in the area. In my case, I was three states away. And because I needed to work over break, um, sometimes I really did need to stay close to my university. So that might be your situation for a variety of reasons. And I hope that you can lean into some of your friends and some of the community that is more than willing to host you and house you if you need to be off campus or find a place. These are great. I love all of the suggestions and the advice and resources. I want to plug a couple more that I think would also be helpful, especially if you're not around on campus. So Sophie mentioned Silver Cloud. There's U at CSU, which you can access via your RAM web. It's like the search engine for all mental health and well-being information at CSU, but also in the internet universe. And they definitely have articles on this topic. They have videos for mindfulness. You know, if you're like, I need something to help me to sleep, they have, they'll have articles or videos for that too. So that's a really great, easy way to find information. If you're like, I don't know where to look, try there. And then the other one is an app that's available for CSU students is called Nod, N-O-D. And it's an app that helps to um, helps the individual overcome social anxiety and mitigate loneliness by helping provide ideas on how to cultivate well, create and cultivate relationships. Um, And so I think about relationships shifting, like Vivian said, right? Like you expect people when you return back to be one way and they expect you to be another way and you're not. And so that can create some tension. And so Nod is a great resource to help figure out like, okay, how do I navigate this? What are some talking points? How do I, you know, approach someone and pretty much say like, this is weird. And where do we go from here? Right. There's always that warming up period. Um, I think between folks when you haven't seen each other in a while, and then by the time you get back in your groove, you know, that's towards the end of the break. So I think Nod would be a really great resource. We'll have a link in our description of this session that you can all go to find all the resources we talked about. 
with that, I want to wish you all one. Thanks for tuning in as always. Please let us know if there's a topic you want to hear. There's an opportunity for you all to give feedback um, at the end of the session. So please listen for that. Um, I want to wish you all good luck as the semester wraps up. And I especially want to thank my three guests, Vivian, Sophie, and Mia. Thank you for taking the time to come and talk about your experiences, being really vulnerable. I appreciate it so much. I know the listeners do too. And with that, Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you the next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Mental Health Musings podcast. You can find this episode and others on KCSU's website, the CSU Health Network's website, and Spotify. All links will be in the podcast description. Lastly, there is an evaluation survey that I encourage you to fill out. It's how we get better and to know what future topics to talk about. Those details are also in the description. Thanks again, everyone, and remember to be kind to yourself. If you are just tuning in, that was the Mental Health Musings podcast on transitioning and reentering for CSU students during breaks in college. Up next, natural gas stoves could be banned in Denver, Colorado. More on this in environmental news with Kara McKinley after the break. sample element of every city around the world, but unique to every community. KCSU will showcase a part of our international local music exchange, a radio show and podcast collaboration with college radio stations around the world. All participating stations are sharing their local music community with the world. Listen to the podcast at kcsufm.com. In environmental news, across the pond in Cheshire, England, at the Chester Zoo in the city, a rare chimpanzee was born last Thursday. According to CNN, the new baby is a western chimpanzee, one of the most endangered subspecies of the chimpanzees. The Chester Zoo's efforts in conservation do not end with one species, though. They are committed to conservation and sustainability efforts. Along with animal repopulation efforts, the zoo aims to be carbon net zero and produce almost zero waste by 2023 as well, according to their website. A new study that was recently published in Current Biology states that dolphins' communications with each other are affected due to the human-generated noise. They change their sounds in a way that's similar to a human shouting to communicate in loud spaces, according to CNN. Dolphins use echolocation to communicate with each other. Like other species, such as toothed whales and bats use echolocation as well. Echolocation is when a species determines the location of objects by using reflective sound waves. They use this technique for various things such as communication and hunting, according to Discover Wildlife. The study has found that human interference with echolocation has caused various problems such as an increase in whale and boat collisions, according to CNN. In other environmental news, if you found yourself joking saying that this is the hottest year yet while in the simmering summer heat, you actually wouldn't be too wrong. 2022 was the world's fifth warmest year ever on record, according to NASA. The BBC has found that the polar regions and Europe 
have been hit the hardest by global warming in 2022. They said, quote, Europe experienced its warmest summer, with temperatures increasing by more than twice the global average over the past three decades, faster than any other continent, end quote. Global warming can cause negative environmental effects, such as a rise in sea level, a change in precipitation patterns, and an increased risk in droughts and floods, and threats to biodiversity, according to the BBC. Areas all around the world, like Europe, have already been experiencing these negative effects for quite some time. Okay, so when you think of making dinner, you probably don't think of its environmental effects. Sadly, like many daily functions within our society, there are some. When you use a natural gas stove to cook, when they are turned on and off, they can release harmful air pollutants, according to PBS. Due to their environmental effects, regions all around the world are banning them. One of those places that could be potentially putting in a ban is here in Denver, Colorado. The city has already phased out the usage of these appliances for large commercial buildings, whether they are new buildings or previously built, according to the Denver Post. One councilman, Jolene Clark, doesn't think this is enough, though. He wants to bring this conversation about banning natural gas stoves back into play and promote a ban on natural gas stoves in homes. We'll see early on in February how this conversation plays out and what comes from it. I'm Kira McKinley, and that's all for your environmental news today. Up next, hear from Martin Luther King Jr. during his I Have a Dream speech. This and more national news with me after the break. Support from KCSU comes from Crazy Carl's. With two locations on West Campus and South on Timberline, you can call in to beat the clock with specials every Monday and Thursday. Every evening after 5 p.m., the time you call is the price you pay for a one-topping large pizza. That's right. The time you call in is the price you pay. More information on drink specials, pay-per-view sports, and weekly specials can be found at crazycarlspizza.com. Martin Luther King is one of the most historically influential people in recent history. He was born in 1929 and died in 1968. The height of his career was during the 1950s until his death. He was extremely influential in the social movement that took place in the 1960s that helped liberate African Americans from certain discriminations like segregation. MLK started off his journey at Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia, where he was originally interested in studying law, but during his senior year met a social gospel activist named Benjamin May, who inspired him to go into ministry and reaffirm some of his more progressive beliefs. MLK's grandfather and father were both pastors as well. After graduating from Montgomery in 1948 with a bachelor's degree, MLK went to Crozer Theology Seminary. Following his graduation from the seminary, he attended Boston University where he graduated with his doctorate's degree in 1955. Following his graduation from Boston University, MLK moved to Montgomery, Alabama where he met his wife and started a family. He was also a pastor at a local church. Not long after MLK moved to the city, Rosa Parks was arrested for violating segregation laws on a local bus. In result of this arrest, him and other members from the community started the Montgomery Improvement Association. The group aimed to boycott local bus systems in efforts to end segregation, and they succeeded in this goal about a year after their journey started. Following MLK's work with the Montgomery Improvement Association, he created the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. This conference allowed him to have a larger platform to discuss issues like civil rights. In 1960, he and his family moved to Atlanta, Georgia, where he co-pastored a church with his father, but spent a majority of his time working for the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. 
1963, the March on Washington took place. MLK was one of the people who helped organize this march, and this is where he gave his iconic I Have a Dream speech. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creeds. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Following MLK's involvement in the March on Washington, he held other peaceful protests. There was some opposition to his stance to being peaceful, especially from younger radicals. But MLK's involvement in this social movement helped pass laws like the Civil Rights Act that, quote, prohibits discrimination on the basis of race, color, religion, sex, or national origin, end quote. In addition, he helped the Voting Rights Act be passed, which outlaws discriminatory voting practices in the South, like the literacy test. MLK continued to help this social movement until he was murdered in 1968 from the second-story balcony of his hotel room he was staying at in Memphis, Tennessee. This movement and his legacy didn't die with him, though. It carried on. Like anybody, I would like to live... A long life, longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know the night that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And that's all for your national news. Now on to your CSU Sports Report with Eliza Drotar. My name is Eliza Drotar. This is your RMR Sports Report. In men's basketball news, the team is now 10-9, and with their most recent win being a overtime win against UNLV. There were a total of nine lead changes, and the score was tied 12 times. Final point being in the last four seconds by Isaiah Stevens. In women's basketball, the team is now 11-5 on a three-game winning streak. Their most recent win was a takedown of Boise State in Boise, 71-50 on January 11th. In cross-country news, the women's team and the men's team went off to the NCAA championship in Stillwater, Oklahoma, the women being 25th in the country, men being 28th. In women's swim and dive, their most recent event was on the 6th of January, facing off against North Texas, and they beat them at Handley. Their next match is going to be against Colorado Mesa at the U.S. Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. And finally, the 2023 football season was announced. There will be a Colorado versus Colorado State match resembling the Rocky Mountain Showdown happening in Boulder, Colorado, September 16th, 2023. My name is Eliza Drotar. This has been your RMR Sports Report. I'm Portia Cook reporting your weather forecast for Tuesday, January 17th, 2023. A winter storm warning is in effect for most of northeastern Colorado, including Fort Collins. The storm warning will remain in effect from 5 o'clock p.m. today until 5 o'clock p.m. tomorrow, Wednesday, January 18th. According to the National Weather Service, a storm system will move into Colorado late this evening and intensify over eastern Colorado on Wednesday. Snow will develop in the mountains Tuesday afternoon and then spread east across the I-25 corridor and plains Tuesday evening. The snow will likely be heavy at times Tuesday night and Wednesday morning before gradually diminishing Wednesday afternoon. Heavy snow is expected tonight into tomorrow morning with total snow accumulations between 6 and 11 inches, with the heaviest amounts favored over the plains just east and southeast of Denver. Winds gusting as high as 35 miles per hour east are expected. Travel could be very difficult and the hazardous conditions could impact Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning commutes. I'm Portia Cook with your KCSU Weather Report. Information comes from the Weather Channel. And that's all for today. We just want to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right 
now. We'd like to thank our guests today, as well as the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Portia. And I'd like to thank you, Kira. And finally, we couldn't do this without you. Dear listener, thank you. If you missed any part of today's show, you can find the RMR podcast on kcsufm.com under news or podcast. You can also find us on Spotify or anywhere else you listen to your podcast by searching KCSU News. And with that, we'll see you next time.